Well, Oregon and USC have had a number of recruiting battles over the years. And with the Trojans heading to the Big Ten, what could their battles look like going forward? Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for a special edition of Locked On Ducks and Locked On Trojans. It's what we call a Locked On crossover here at the network. Spencer McLaughlin with you here from Locked On Ducks. Mark Colkin of Locked On USC. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day wherever you listen to or watch this show or whichever side you are a fan of in particular. Appreciate all of you and FanDuel for bringing you this particular episode. FanDuel Sportsbook is the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. So Mark Colkin is the host of Locked On at USC, for those of you who don't know, and for the other side who may not know, I am the host of Locked On Ducks and Locked On at Pac-12. And Mark, I want to talk about, first and foremost, the recruiting battles that we've seen over the last couple of years, but specifically the, the most recent one with Roderick Pleasant. That felt like a little bit of, of a surprise, at least on Oregon's side, what was the reaction from, from USC and was there any kind of concern in the Trojans camp about recruiting against Oregon in that area going forward? So first of all, I think USC has to win one of these battles for it to be considered a, a battle. Um, yeah, you know, they're, they're striking out typically when they're going up against Oregon um, for these recruits. Now, to your point with Roderick Pleasant, you know, we were talking before we jumped on that USC was felt fairly confident that uh, at that 11, that 11 o'clock hour that they were getting Roderick Pleasant. Um, he had canceled his unofficial visit to Oregon and USC had an in-home with Grinch and Dante the weekend leading up to signing day. Everything seemed to be trending in the right direction. And then it didn't. Um, you know, USC fans are trying to figure out why. Uh, they're getting all this positive momentum and then, you know, clock strikes zero and the player's going somewhere else. And so it leads them to believe that USC is not showing enough NIL love to the high school players. And that is going to be something that, you know, USC is going to have to deal with when they're recruiting high school players uh, because they're doing perfectly fine with the transfer portal. It's at the high school level. How will it affect USC versus Oregon going forward. It'll be interesting because, you know, now USC is going to be playing the card. Well, you're going to be playing in the big conference, supposedly better exposure, um, more NIL opportunities. Do you want to continue to stay in the Pac-12 and go to Oregon? I mean, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I I think it's a fascinating pitch. And it does come into play. I, I, it surprises me, certainly, to hear you say that USC has not been sufficient in the eyes of some in the NIL front, because I feel like Oregon and USC in the Pac-12 are probably the two schools most poised to to use NIL effectively or to use it as, as a recruiting tool. But they use it differently. I see, at least the perception is out there, that Oregon is more aggressive with the high school recruits. USC, the perception is out there that US, in fact, it's not even a perception. Lincoln Riley has said 
you know, we were, we look at NIL a different way. We want to reward the players who have already proven themselves in college. And, you know, why spend that kind of money um, on somebody who still hasn't even played a snap of college football? Nick Saban. I don't know. I'm sure. I don't know if you're aware of the story. He was approached. I've heard it. Yeah. So if you know what, things seem to be working out well for Nick Saban. That that's true. And for those who don't know the story that we're referring to, basically there was a report. I heard it on the the late kick with Josh Pate that a yeah. player basically went to Saban and said, "Hey, I am demanding." this, this, and this. And one of those things was you need to get my girlfriend into law school. And Nick Saban said, okay, well, there's the door over there because who are you to come in here and tell me what, what I have to do on that front? I think there is an element of risk when you commit NIL dollars to high school kids. And Oregon has been quote unquote outbid for guys before going all the way back to I think it was uh, eight to 10 months ago or so, they were looking at uh, Nicholas Iamaleava, mm-hmm. the quarterback commit for Tennessee. But then there were reports. It wasn't anything actually confirmed. But with what we've seen with Jaden Rashada now, it seems like it, it could certainly be legit that there was a multi-million dollar package that was put together for Iamaleava. Nico Iamaleava was his name. And and then Oregon said, no, we're, we're, we're not going into that front. I, I do think there's an element of risk on, on that. But going back to the question that you asked about, you know, the big 10 versus the the PAC 12, I think it'll be a really interesting test with these two schools, specifically Oregon and USC who have gone after the same caliber of players who have gone after very similar players. Obviously Oregon has, you know, upped their, their recruiting presence in California, really that, that kicked off with Willie Taggart and, and Mario Cristobal and it has thankfully continued with Dan Lanning. But players are committing to schools more than conferences. So I I think, Mark, it'll be a fascinating examination going forward with, you know, Oregon beat out USC for Mateo Uyangule and for Jalil Florence last year and Roderick Pleasant this year. And those are not, you know, just three or four And Josh Connerly the year before. And yeah, and Josh Connerly the year before. And Kingsley Stuamataya the year before Right, And, and, and these are big time blue chip recruits that Oregon's still able to land, but it's kind of before the Big Ten value became a very real thing. I, I think it can have a factor. It may be able to tip the scales, but I don't think it's a ground-altering sort of move because when kids are are going on the recruiting trail from their side, they're looking for the right school. And I think the conference is a part of that, but I don't think it's you know changing 80% of their calculus. What do you think? Well, here's the other thing. These... I hate to refer them as kids, but when they're in high school, I'm going to I'll, I'll call them kids. But these young men, they're actually getting a second bite of the apple. They are given a mulligan. So, you know, Roderick Pleasant can say, all right, you know what? They recruited me better. They recruited me harder. They wanted me more, if that's what the case was. But if I'm not happy there in a year, USC's in my backyard. I can go home, and now I can go play in the in the Big in the Big 12 or to Big, 20, Big 10, whatever they're called. I call them the big. Um, I lose track of how many teams are in the top. <laughs> it, but it that's is the, easy to lose track. Yeah. And Texas A&M is a perfect example of, hey, they signed every five-star that was out there. I'm not sure that philosophy works if you're looking at the way their program's going right now. That That's true for Texas A&M, but I, I do think there's, there's a caveat to that 
potential limitation that we will talk about after we talk about FanDuel, which is our new sports betting partner here at Locked On, which we're stoked about because they're the number one sports book in America. If you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easily you can download FanDuel now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no sweat first bet this Sunday between the Chiefs and Eagles I like the Chiefs by the way just for what it's worth you got a side in that Mark Eagles uh, I think are up to two and a half yeah I'm gonna take Jalen Hurts oh interesting very very interesting is it is it is it the Lincoln Riley tie he was with Lincoln Riley who was at Oklahoma who is now and he's healthy well Kind, he's healthy-ish. He's 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 healthy-ish. But with whichever side you come down on, you can bet it very easily, very safely, very securely using the app or the website for FanDuel. So join FanDuel at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NFL. So getting back into our recruiting discussion here, Mark, the, the, the mulligan, which is a great way to put it, especially for me, cause I'm a humongous golfer. Uh, I think that that is an interesting way to see it, but the, the Texas A&M front, I think what they're missing is, is the second part of the equation. Cause when people look at recruiting rankings, right? Of course, in the PAC 12, the last few years, you've looked at Oregon, you've looked at USC and you say, well, USC hasn't had those results translate always, but then they kind of did when Lincoln Riley got there and they're in the portal and whatnot. And Texas A&M went after all these big time high school recruits and, and did all this sort of stuff. But when I watched Texas A&M, I didn't see a team that was outmatched physically or that was lacking skill or talent. I just think the X's and O's weren't there. And it's an important thing, I think, for college football fans to remember that recruiting, much like I say with stats, are a starting point. They're not an end point. And I think they can determine your floor and ceiling as a program. And I think the recruiting history indicates that, even from the high school ranks alone. But it is not the sole determining factor. That's, that's kind of how I see it. Uh, no, I, it's, look, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I, I guess what I would say is these young men who now have a soft wallet to land on, might have a different approach to the game, knowing that they're financially set for a while. And if they're not feeling comfortable, look, USC got Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M, five-star. Um, he's taking a mulligan. He wasn't happy at A&M. It's not that he was, you know, people, he, he wasn't getting playing time. He started. It was something happened there that changed his mind. Like, you know what? I'm just not happy here right now. I'm, I, I'm in the doghouse for whatever reason. Now he gets to take his money and he's going to come over to USC and hopefully get developed. Otherwise, he's going to turn into one of those five-star busts. And that's what I keep coming back to with when you're, when you're spending that kind of money on high school players, um, it's hard to keep that locker room the way you want it, it especially if you have too many players. There's, there's only so many Caleb Williams out there. That That's true. And – what, what, what I'd say on that front as it pertains to NIL, and I, I do agree with you that you, I, I think most kids, this is overwhelming, the overwhelming majority, but the overwhelming majority are not in this camp, rather. I, I do think it's easy to foresee how an 18, 19 year old kid who has that cushion and, you know, is maybe not quite as driven to get to the next level because he doesn't need to financially. I, I could see that 
playing out in a locker room. And maybe Texas A&M is a case study on that front. But I also think Texas A&M could be indicative of kind of a market correction because some of these NIL deals that are reported, like, like Jaden Rashada, for instance, is, is, <laughs> is a perfect example. I don't know what ASU was able to offer him specifically. The reports, I'm not sure how confirmed they are, but a lot of people have thrown out that $13 million number and then fl- the Florida people got antsy. And I think this is the downside of it and why the NCAA made such a mistake in just kind of unleashing it for anybody and everybody to go. It's like, you know, you go into uh, speaking militarily on, on the foreign policy front, you go and you remove this awful dictator from a country with no succession plan. What have you created? A power vacuum. Well, when the NIL was just put out there with, with no groundwork from a high institutional level from the NCAA, yep. it, it, it created a power vacuum. So you have people who are not always acting in good faith and who are trying to use these kids sometimes to get more money or to, to get more money flowing to a program or something like that. And then you have a Jane Rashada situation where they back out of it. And it's just, you look at it and say, boy, that, that just doesn't feel like it's the healthiest thing for, for the sport. And I think, I, I think that the money coming out from the Florida boosters who were going to commit to Rashada is the first step in, in people realizing, okay, maybe 17 and 18 year old kids are not worth several million dollars. Yeah. When you started hearing those numbers floating around what his package was, and you're thinking, well, the guy hasn't even won a Heisman trophy yet. Hasn't I, even I, taken a college snap. Yeah. I mean, I hope you sense my sarcasm. He, he is not worth more than the most recent Heisman trophy winner. Who's considered not just a good quarterback, the best player in college football. So it was just, a, it was a ridiculous notion that all of a sudden Florida is going to say, hey, there's 13 and a half million floating for you over four years. Come on over. That was never going to happen. Yeah. And I just find it to be a, a peculiar situation. Like it's very unique, but I wonder if it is going to be uncommon or common going forward. And I think it's going to be uncommon because of how it played out. Yeah, I think next year we'll be, we'll have a good indication of how the recruiting is going to go. Because of the market correction, like you were talking about. Right, right. Uh, bringing this back to, to Oregon and, and USC real quick, I, I think both schools are perfectly capable of putting together the funds, shall we say, to compete in the NIL space. Like it doesn't feel like a drawback. And, and there are a lot of programs that can use it as, as a benefit, right? I think you even look at what Kenny Dillingham is doing at Arizona State. They've started a collective. The money has started to to roll in more once he got there. I think it can be a boon for some of those kind of second or third tier programs. It's a drawback for others. You know, the the Washington states, the Oregon states, the cows of the world, maybe Stanford. I don't really have a great feel on Stanford on that particular front. I don't think they're super big into that space, but it feels like both Oregon and, and USC going forward, maybe on an individual recruit, if it came down to these two schools he could decide, you know, I want this much NIL money or I want this amount and one school's willing to pay it and the other is not. But it feels like going forward, Mark, as these two schools continue to compete for the same kind of footprint of recruits, that it, it'll be a factor, but I still don't think it's the biggest factor. I, I think conference realignment is the biggest, the bigger factor. I agree. And that's why I was going to ask you is, in your opinion, let's just give the benefit of the doubt. NIL is not the, the reason why 
uh, Oregon's having more success recruiting against USC. Why do you think Oregon is having more success <laughs> recruiting against SC? I think you look at what... Especially coming what, off of last year. Right. I, I think the caliber of, of players that, that both programs are going after is to be expected. But I think when you're talking about those wins, other than Josh Connerly last year, they've come on the defensive side of the ball. And it feels like, and this is something that that, that I want to ask you here in, in just a sec, Oregon has a staff that is more committed to that side of the ball, and they have better recruiters on that side of the ball. And so they they know what that pitch means. They know how to roll out the red carpet in just the right way or push the right buttons for those sorts of players. Because the big recruiting wins over USC, again, Connerly on the offensive line, but still I think that's a little bit of uh, an exception of sorts. Well, it's we could been, go over other players over the last few two or three years in the offensive line group. That that's true, <laughs> but but then if you're going back a couple of years, you have Mario Cristobal and Alex Maribal, who are probably a, among the best and offensive line Helton. recruiters in the country, right? And, and USC had Clay Helton, but it's it's different now. But I think you know Jaleel Florence or Roderick Pleasant or Mateo Uyunglele, who USC was indeed going after. To me, that's kind of the Dan Lanning difference. That, that That's how it comes off to me. But for, for you over there in the USC camp, do you see that as, as a hindrance going forward, that the Trojans haven't built a great defense and that Grinch's reputation is iffy at best? Uh, without a doubt. I mean, that is definitely the way the wind is blowing. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, myself and seven other media members had a roundtable with Lincoln Riley for about two hours. Literally, a roundtable. We just sat around a table. And he gave like a 20-minute state of the program address of how things were going. And then it was just floors open, ask me whatever you want. And we did. For two hours, we just asked questions. And it was interesting. You know, Lincoln's like, I'm not going to make a, a rash emotional decision after one year of data with, you know, what we've just done here at USC. And we're all thinking to ourselves, well, you've got more than one year of history with Alex Grinch. And your history in postseason, it's not, you're not faltering because of your offense. So on that note, Lincoln's like, you know, I'm going to get more involved on the defensive side of the ball. And instantly my head races back to the, to the annals of, well, Pete Carroll got more involved when Norm Chow was the offensive coordinator to kind of balance things out. I don't know if Lincoln Riley is going to have that Pete Carroll touch. I don't know if he can affect Alex Grinch. Is it the scheme? Is it the lack of personnel? The personnel keeps getting better. If the defense does not get better this year, at some point, Lincoln Riley is going to have to cut that umbilical cord with his friend and say, you know what? My career depends on this. I can't be the bridesmaid every single year. And, you know, Lincoln's like, you know, last year in our first game against Utah, if this would have happened and we don't get hurt, yep. It's like, yeah, we could. I do what if every Monday, but I, I get where the coach is coming from. In one year, he went from four and eight to eleven and three. We know the Achilles' heel on this team is the defense. Um, we can call out Alex Grinch all day long. It's not going to change the fact he's going to be USC's defensive coordinator in twenty twenty three. Right, and you bring up uh, an interesting point there about how how. He'd have to, quote unquote, cut the umbilical cord or go away from his friend. But a a couple other notable Pac-12 examples on that front. 
and, and this is not, by the way, the most optimistic sentiment, perhaps, for USC fans who do want to move on from, from Alex Grinch. I can also tell USC fans that the rest of the conference is more pleased than not that he decided to hang around. But I look at what Chip Kelly did at UCLA with Jerry Azanero. He was the DC for, I think, all, all four years, each of the first four. He was there for at least three there's no way he should have been there longer than two. It wasn't getting better. It was absolutely terrible. There was no recruiting. I mean, the portal wasn't a, a factor for them at that point in time because it wasn't for anybody, but nothing was good. But Jerry Azanero, you go look at his his career resume, and it was on Chip Kelly's staff at New Hampshire, and it was on Chip Kelly's staff, I think, at one time, maybe at Oregon, and it was he was with him in the NFL on the Eagles and Ford. And so he's doing his buddy a solid. And another example, Justin Wilcox at Cal had Bill Musgrave as his offensive coordinator. Cal's offense has been inept and incapable of winning them games for the last couple of years but they kept him around. And when you have that close personal relationship, it's really, really hard to sever those ties. Here's the thing. Mike Bone, the athletic director at USC, can go into Lincoln Riley if USC's defense looks similar to 2022 and say, you know what? I'm going to help you sever that tie because we're paying you a lot more money than all those coaches you just talked about, Spencer. I That's mean, very true. So financially, and even though USC is moving on to more money, you're not going to just keep throwing it out the window uh, because you got to compete now with Ohio State, with Michigan, with Penn State, Wisconsin, and so on, um, as well as your out-of-conference schedule, which next in 2024 starts off with LSU, by the way, in Las Vegas. So, yes, uh, things are going to be scrutinized a little bit more when you're talking about the finances that USC is really invested into Lincoln Riley. He got last year. You're going to give him the benefit of the doubt that it's going to get better because the player personnel is getting better. You can only say, I inherited a bad roster for so long. Right. I, I think that's I think that's very fair, uh, frankly, on, on the one hand. I wouldn't have brought Grinch over in the first place, or I wouldn't have wanted to if I were a USC fan. I, because, here, here's the thing. The investment into Lincoln Riley represented something that Trojan fans had long been waiting for. We have the money to go get a top-tier coach. What are we doing settling for Clay Helton? Why is this acceptable? Why is this the standard? And then they said, you know what? You're right. Let's just go get Lincoln Riley. That sort of mindset is then not applied to the next most important hire that you can make when you bring on Lincoln Riley as your head coach. And that's the defensive coordinator. Because I look at names that are available out there right now, Mark, like Jim Leonard, for instance, former head coach at Wisconsin. You don't think he would take a one or two year tour at USC, help get them to the playoff, which he probably would, by the way. He's a brilliant schematic coach. He's been the architect of that Wisconsin defense for the last several years. And they've been really, really good. If USC got to the playoff, or a national championship game and Leonard is there, of course he'd get a head coaching job. But now he's left out waiting in the wings, whether or not he'll go to the NFL or stay in college, we don't really know, because he was at Wisconsin. So to me, that would have been a, a perfect, I, I think that was the biggest missed opportunity of, of the offseason, was let Grinch go after one year, bring in Leonard and say, we're all in on 2023 because we can get through the Pac-12 easier than the Big Ten and we still have Caleb Williams. Look, 
there are sources out there who have said that USC made, you know, they reached out to, to Jim Leonard during the off season. Jim is perfectly content with his one point, whatever million he's going to be earning sitting on his butt. So um, sometimes, hmm. look, sometimes, that surprises me a lot. I, look, I didn't, it, it's not my source. I'm just saying this has been what's been floated out there. And keep in mind, sometimes it's not just players don't want to, maybe USC just isn't the right place for players. It's the same thing applies to coaches. You know, maybe Jim isn't a West Coast guy. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Like Dalen Austin, one of your best recruits in this class. USC's backyard, Long Beach Poly High School. Right. It's right there. It's right there. It has been a feeder program for USC for for eons, for years. He had zero interest in coming to USC. Zero. That's bizarre. It, for whatever reason, there's just there's outliers out there. What why if it's true that USC made overtures to Jim Leonard and he said no, I don't know why. I'm just passing that along that yeah. of course it, it, they did look out there. Okay. If they did, to me, that makes a lot more sense. I think that would have been a, a, a perfect fit. I want to wrap this up with uh, a question that I hinted to you before we came on to uh, record this show regarding the, the Ducks and, and USC. We talked about everything on the recruiting front, but 2023 represents the last time that they will meet as Pac-12 foes. Would you be open going forward, Mark? And I, I non-conference scheduling college football gets messy, but what would you say to Oregon USC playing some sort of regular home and home, maybe, I don't know, a couple times a decade? So four out of 10 years in a, in a span, Oregon and USC play. I think that's an intriguing option. Hey, I am a total team player. And if, US, if UCLA has to pay the Berkeley tax, I am more than fine with USC saying, all right, the rest of you Pac-12, 10 guys that we left behind, sign your name up here on the line when you want to play, and we will fit you into our out-of-conference schedule as we can. I'm fine with that. Give me Oregon. Give me Washington. I would hate to lose the Stanford-Cal weekender. Um, you know, that's a tradition with USC fans, being able to go up to Berkeley or to Palo Alto every other year. But that's at risk. So... Absolutely. I'm on board with it. Yeah, I, I think from a flexibility standpoint, obviously you can't play both Stanford and Cal in in the same Agreed. year. You could maybe play one, but if they wanted to have a revolving door. And by the way, Duck fans, let me know in the comments if you're interested too, because look, everyone needs a quality non-conference game. Everybody I can tell you, I can you, tell you right have now, one. I the road trip to Austin is the game I am looking forward to the most in 2023. Oh, it's good. It's not I, Notre I, Dame. It's not Notre Dame. Right. It's this game. Right. And, and the thing about it, Mark, that I'm sure you're already mentally prepared for is if you're walking into that stadium wearing any shade of red or crimson, you, you should maybe have some personal security with you because there's, there's going to be a little bit of a sense of animosity brewing inside that stadium. Oregon not fans. my first rodeo. <laughs> yeah, I, I I figured, but I look forward to that game. I would be down for a home and home, but I think Oregon's got this is just the worst part of college football. A lot of their non-conference games are already scheduled out through like 2032. It's like those can be or those can be fixed. I I hope I hope so because I, I would have be a feeling that some of your 
Division One AA on your, they can be bought off. That that's potentially tr- potentially true. I I think the perfect non conference schedule is kind of the way Oregon did it this year, but without Georgia, perhaps one really tough game, one solidly good game, and one and one cupcake. That's what I would like to see everybody do. Is like well, you got a mid tier power five, you got a high high ca- high class power five, and you get one buy game. Okay. Well, with the 12 game playoffs coming up, strength of schedule is going to be a larger component. You're you're gonna you're gonna have every well, I shouldn't say every team, but two losses is going to be very common. Um going forward. in the playoff. Yes. Which Absolutely. by the way, on a personal level, just makes me sick. Oh, I just oh, it's just I mean, think about it. USC is going to be playing Notre Dame and LSU in the same season out of conference in 2024. So in they 20th, probably wouldn't. They probably wouldn't add Oregon to their schedule next year. <laughs> I look. I would be open to it. I still remember the day when USC was when it was the Pac-8, and USC played Arkansas and Alabama and and Missouri. They didn't have any of these, you know, San Jose states on their on their schedule. It was yeah. always a power conference team. All three I'm, of them. I'm with you. I, now I I do think every team should have at least one bye game, and I think it should be mostly in in your first week because. Like let's be real. like the NFL gets a preseason. They have more training camp and more involvement, and whatnot. Kids need some time to get themselves back into game shape. Plus, those games are the lifeblood for for those smaller schools. Like they they need that uh, that particular money. Like uh, Akron, for instance, made bank a year ago. They went and played Oklahoma. They went and played Georgia. They went and played Washington. I heard their total revenues from those game for, from playing those games combined to be like two million dollars. I mean, it, it was like that is a lot of money for for a mid-major or, or for an FCS school it like that. Keeps, that stuff matters. It, it keeps their, you know, small little badminton programs. Going. Yeah. <laughs> you're not you're not wrong. And by the way, on a personal level, I'm OK with that because that's given opportunities to kids that wouldn't otherwise have them. I'm I'm totally good with it. Hence the Berkeley tax and why UCLA is being asked, asked to pay five million or whatever to right, to- right because of their because of their ties together in the UC system. That's uh, a whole other conversation. But this one was a lot of fun with Mark Colkin of Locked On at USC. Yeah. Mark, that was a uh, that was that was a blast and a half. Yeah, we'll do this more because um, why not? It, yeah. <laughs> we got a game coming up so like i said I'm yes ready. indeed oregon fans this will not be the last time you hear from mark and usc fans this will not be the last time you hear from me whether it's here or over on locked on pac 12 as well appreciate everyone listening we will both see you next time whenever wherever that may be hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day and go ducks Tied on